When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. This is your moment. Your time to shine. Your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I know you'll be alright Even when times get hard And you feel like you're in the dark You will see Just how beautiful life can be When you soften your heart you can finally start to live your truth, Theist Life. Welcome back to Theist Life, fam. It's your host, Lisa Haim. To stay up to date on all things True Theist Life, you can now sign up for our exclusive newsletter that goes out just one time a week. And all it has is the episode that came out, the latest drops, and what you can expect from that episode. Plus an easy link so you can just click it and listen. This week, we have my friend Q on, who is super epic, and he is really cool for so many reasons. But he's also been in the spotlight in the media for a really long time. He was an MTV VJ back when the show Total Request Live was around, if anyone remembers that. And this is a huge show about 20 years ago. Lots of eyeballs on him. And since then, obviously, the show doesn't exist, but he has maintained his role in the media and helping other people be themselves while being in the media. And what I love about Q's story is that it really hits home to a general theme that I think we could all relate to, whether we're in the media or not, which most of us are not. And that general theme has to do with worthiness. And he really shines light on the fact of the matter that many of us do things, whether in our jobs or in relationships or live our lives incongruently, if you will, in pursuit of proving or worthiness oftentimes to somebody else. And until you really check that feeling of unworthiness within yourself, recognize where it came from and really get to the root of understanding. And I want you to all hear me loud and clear here that you are worthy right here. You are worthy of everything you have, everything you deserve and everything that you want. 
And until you really understand that and grapple with that, you will continue to chase an illusion of worthiness in a way that will leave you feeling misaligned. And Q gets really deep talking about how his career began when his dad instilled feelings of unworthiness within him. And he thought if he could just get on TV and be famous and do all these things, then he would be worthy. But of course, we all know how that goes. We are left on a lifelong chase. So instead, we can do the same thing. We can even be in the same relationships or the same type of jobs. But when we reconcile with that feeling of worthiness, only then can who we show up be the most authentic version of ourselves. And getting to the root of it, it's not as hard or as scary as we think. So let's jump into this week's episode. I hope you love it as much as I do. Welcome back to The Truthiest Life. Today's guest is my friend Caduce, a.k.a. Q. I call you Q. I hope other do other people call you Q? Yeah, most people call me Q. Q is a man of many trades. You're a TV host. You're a producer. You're a media coach. But the question I really want to get to here on The Truthiest Life today is... Who is the man underneath that? <laughs> Just an overgrown boy. <laughs> Just someone who wants to enjoy life like everybody else. You know, it's really not that special. Okay, that's a good place to start. Everybody does want to enjoy life, but I think you actually bring that. It seems like you bring that to your life every single day. I make the attempt. I mean, I start my day with dancing. I literally have a non-negotiable morning practice that involves getting my feet into the grass and dancing my ass off to whatever song I feel like dancing to. And sometimes it's a different genre than you might expect. Like sometimes it's some old Metallica or maybe it's some old nineties hip hop, or maybe it's something in between, you know? You do that every morning. Every morning, yeah. I just did it to a song by DMX and Jay-Z off DMX's new albums, awesome. And there was a bunch of kids hanging out in the park looking over at me like I'm the crazy dude, you know? You are. <laughs> For everyone listening, Q is my best friend Carolyn's partner, Carolyn was on The Truthiest Life. She did an amazing episode. And you guys have been together for about a year now, right? Yeah, we're coming up on our one-year anniversary. So you can imagine how thrilled I am that Carolyn has Q in her life because hopefully you could already tell. You're refreshing, <laughs> you're different, you're positive, yet you're grounding. So, mm. I mean, one could not ask for more in a best friend's partner, especially mm. during a pandemic. <laughs> well, I'm curious what you were like when you first started seeing us dating and were you the type of friend that was like let me check this guy out let me see if he's good enough for my lady mm, i'm kind of a vibe girl so yeah. you know i didn't need to look further than your energy online you know you're you have your own instagram account obviously which we'll link below and your own media personality but you know our little facetimes offline really showed me that who you are in the spotlight is pretty much a direct reflection of who you are when you're not in the spotlight would you pretty, say that pretty much pretty much you know some days it doesn't line up yeah <laughs> pretty much <laughs> It's interesting, though, to think about like authenticity, because I think about that a lot. I mean, I coach people on it. And obviously, it's such a marketing buzzword. Like, what is authentic here? You know, can we make this more authentic? And I've been really boiling it down. And it's actually presence. It's presence to what is now versus like what we think we should be or who we think we should be or all the things that we should. Like, we should on our over ourselves all the time. Isn't that, isn't that a funny way to think about it? Like, how many times we should on ourselves and then we squash who we really are? 
Well, it's funny when you put it in the sentence of how can we make this more authentic? You know, mm -hmm. what should we do to make this more authentic? You're automatically making it less authentic. Exactly. Exactly. I think I, I wrote something last year when I was like noticing so many people talking about authenticity as regard, regards to activism. And, uh, you know, people were talking about authenticity. Well, the more we talk about authenticity, the less authentic we are. We are literally not even present to reality when we're talking about how to be in reality. <laughs> not, not to mention, oftentimes when we are talking about authenticity, we are judging other people on their levels of authenticity, which yeah. is a projection of our own self-righteousness of, well, well, they're not being authentic, you know, and really a distraction from doing our own inner work from just freaking being authentic ourselves. <laughs> 100%. That's exactly it. The game is looking at our side of the street, making sure we're being that. And then once in a while, I think it's good to pull out a teaching moment and sharing things that might actually provide insight for others. But for the most part, I feel like a little bit burnt out on the whole teaching culture. It's like, let me show you and tell you how to live life. No, well, you're presuming, you know, mm. <laughs> I'd, I'd rather have a conversation where like, I, I ask, Hey, so like versus me telling you, this is what I see for you. And I think so many coaches are not really skillful coaches actually. And it's been interesting to be in the space for some time now and see how, well, A, there's no authoritative body that's actually making a point of indicating to people who is a real coach, who has actually gone through training, who is actually a skillful coach versus the people who may be better suited as motivational speakers. <laughs> mm. You know, it cuts a lot of different ways. And, and so anyway, I, I think about this a lot. This is all I think about is literally like the quality of our conversations and that determining the quality of our lives and our collaborations and all aspects in between. So yeah, it's, it's really interesting. When you say coach, you're talking about a life coach life coaches or even other coaches, you know, I can well, think you're about, a coach, but you're not, you coach people specifically on media, right? Yeah. And it, it extends into it who extends. they are. Mm. And so, so much of like who they are ends up in their media and people sometimes think they can skip steps. They think that, you know, how do I get more viewers? How do I get more audience? I'm like, well, how's your heart? Like, are you feeling authentic? Are you being who you really are versus, you know, what are the metrics here? You know, <laughs> like, Oh, Slow down. Take a deep breath. What's going on in your life? Because there's no way of showing up on camera. Well, there, there has been traditionally a way of being that has been accepted, which is, you know, I'm going to show you who I think I should be. And instead of now, what's been great is social media really leveling that off. And people like you being a great example of like, actually, let me just be who I am. And if you like it, come for the party. Great. True. But whenever I've been in situations where I'm on more traditional media that I'm not in control of. So, you know, I've been on the Dr. Oz show and, you know, big media stuff. I feel like I lose myself in those big camera moments where it's like, and mm. I'm Lisa, the registered dietitian. And this is what protein does in the body with its amino acids and its building blocks. And I totally <laughs> lose myself. But social mm. media, I, I didn't mean for it to be such a comfortable platform, but I think to your point, it's weird to be in your home environment, in your regular clothes where you're inviting people in and then telling your story and then pretending to be something that you're not. Totally. But people do it all the time. Well, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah you're right. And, th and that's why I did a TED talk recently and it was all about this idea of what would it be like if each of us, first of all, really owned that we're influencers, even if that word is a little gag worthy in some ways that we each have some level of influence. And therefore, what are we doing with that influence? And, and like, if we are influencing others to essentially prop up 
their real life to look better than it is, then we're a bunch of frauds. We're a bunch of like pageant girls. Well, congrats on your first TED Talk, right? Thank first you. of many. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I'm excited because I do have a couple other talks of mine. It was so hard deciding on this particular talk. But yeah, as you know, I was in your backyard telling you I was deliberating about two different talks a week prior to the damn talk. <laughs> Yeah, we were, you were about a week out and you were still flirting with some big different ideas of what your talk should be, which was hilarious to me because my TED Talk, if I were to have a TED Talk, would have been hammered out a month in advance. <laughs> but there was this part of you that wasn't like, you weren't shaken and nervous. You were excited about each of these different things to speak on. I mean, even today in the last 10 minutes, you've talked on so many different little things that mm. of course it would be hard for you to really nail down the one message that you have that platform to use. So what was mm -hmm. the, what was the title of the Ted talk? We ended up going with confessions of a recovering influencer mm. and sharing more so from my journey, the things that I've learned about what it means to play the clickbait game and just how that can compromise our character and chip away at who we really are over time. And then we won't even recognize ourselves and we'll wonder why we don't feel aligned or empowered. So let's actually come back to your personal journey and the TED Talk in one second. Let's start with, I don't think a lot of people know how you got into media or really how long you've been in media. <laughs> long time, long time. Where did it all begin? Well, I started out as a DJ when I loved 90s hip hop and I couldn't help myself but to start making mixtapes for friends. And then that led to a campus radio show, which led to an appearance on Much Music, which is Canada's version of MTV, where I was a VJ search finalist and I ended up being the runner up. But then a year later, I got on MTV and that was my big break. So what year was this? This was back in 2001, I started on MTV. Back in the dinosaur ages when they used to call us VJs, video jockeys, when music videos were not just on YouTube. I, I tuned in every day to TRL, to Total Request Live for anyone who's maybe not familiar, who's younger than I am. It was, yeah. you know, every day you came home from school and you turned on MTV and you could watch the top trending music and celebrities were brought on and major hosts. And you got to be one of those major hosts interviewing major celebrities. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a big deal. Definitely a big deal. It was very overwhelming at times. And I remember having imposter syndrome all of the time <laughs> and uh, losing lots of nights of sleep because I didn't think I was worthy, but you know, it was a great opportunity to learn a whole nother level of life. I mean, being able to talk with Stevie Wonder and people like uh, Kanye for the first time on television. So with the imposter syndrome, the feeling like you're not worthy of this amazing opportunity and being young, how old were you? 20? I was 20 when I got the job. Were you showing up as your authentic self? Well, it varied. And this is why I've landed on this idea of authenticity as being present, because there was a lot of moments where I would be in the shoulds. I would be in the, gosh, I should be like this with Stevie Wonder, even though truth be told, I want to just be a geek. It's, it's an interesting thing. It was slippery for me. I didn't have a mastery over it and certainly wasn't teaching or coaching it yet. So I was just finding my way. I was finding my own voice and it was New York City in the early 2000s, which was popping lots of distractions. You know, I wasn't sitting in the park meditating to start the day. Let's put it that way. <laughs> and so I was at the club late, drinking, not having any sort of practices by any means to keep me centered and uh, in any sort of a trajectory around my own personal development. So that was the foundation of my life at the time. It was being on MTV. It was 
being in this dream job and just wanting to do a good job and feeling uh, really overwhelmed sometimes because I didn't have those foundational practices under me. And so I struggled a little bit personally. I mean, publicly, I was doing really well. I was like, People Magazine named me one of the sexiest men alive. <laughs> you know, <laughs> meanwhile, I didn't know how to feel about that. You know, like my boys were clowning me about it, but it was one of those things that was like a marker. So things were going well on a very, very high level, but then like privately, I would struggle. Uh, and, and so, it, yeah, it was tricky getting on camera and being my full self because I hadn't completely accepted and, and really come to terms with who I am. And so it took a while. When MTV cast you, though, did they have an idea of who you should be? And did you have to kind of fit that role? And who was that person that they wanted? Well, what's interesting is the, the meeting that got me the job, it was one meeting. All it took was one meeting. Most VJs ended up going through like three months of screening, all sorts of meetings, all sorts of you know auditions and stuff. But I had one meeting with somebody who managed to advocate for me in the building effectively enough to get me the job within two days. And I remember that meeting like it was yesterday. I went in there very clear coming off of doing a landmark forum and reading conversations with God. And I was like in a moment of mastery, I was very clear, nothing else. I will be enthusiastic. I'll be honest about how I feel about this opportunity and I'll let it rip. I'll see what happens. I'm not going to try to strategize this. I walked in there, dry mouth, nervous. (laughs) Is it just me or does it feel like the Sahara desert? You know, you're so nervous. You literally feel like cardboard is your mouth. It was like that. And uh, I remember being honest, though. And at one point, this guy who was talking to me about this job, this talent development executive, he goes, why do you want to be a VJ? And I said, well, because I can't sing like Maxwell. And this is the next best thing. (laughs) And I was like, one of those moments that I felt very much myself, where I was just having fun and enjoying the moment for what it was. And so that's who they hired is the guy who's just willing to say what's on his mind right away without having any sort of like suave calculated approach to it. But I think once I got the job, then again, like it's, it's how slippery authenticity can be. Once I got the job, I was in a new moment, different circumstance. All of a sudden I had something to lose, you know, and I started to contract a little bit in that and think about, I had, Ooh, I got to do this versus just thinking, gosh, you know what? They hired me for that guy who's in that room being himself. So it, it was really interesting to like, yeah, get the job earnestly. No, you know, hookups, no family, money getting me, whatever. It's just like an honest opportunity that I got myself. And, and just, it was so interesting to see what I did with it. Like I, I ended up mostly being myself to answer your question. Uh, but I did have a lot of moments where I was playing it cool, trying to you know be too cool for school. Like when I really wanted to be that geek with Stevie Wonder, you know, so, so I didn't really, really, really have as much fun as I could have with the job, but, but, I, but I did do a good job. And I feel good about that at the end of the day. But I think we can all kind of relate to that type of experience where we show up as ourselves. The world says, we love you. You're it. Do, do more of that. And yeah. then once we're appointed that position, whether that be a job or a new role as a girlfriend, a wife, a partner in any way, we begin to contract because we start to fear exactly what you said so beautifully. There's this idea that we could lose this. And then we start modifying our behaviors, maybe ever so slightly. But mm-hmm. either way, there's that contraction that I'm not going to let you in fully. And that loss of really being our brightest full selves, which only is a really, you know, jeopardizes ourselves and the world. So it jeopardizes yeah. everybody. Totally. Totally. Yeah, it's wild. And, and, and it is one of those things that, you know, I, I wish everybody could have a perspective 
of these rooms that I get to be in where I see all walks of life in these trainings that I facilitate. I see how we all deal with the same stuff. We all do. So like we, we have these thoughts of, well, I got to be this way. I got to have it all together. I got to present this way, but everybody's dealing with the same stuff at the end of the day. You know, so it's powerful to think about that. Like what that means in terms of permission, like you have permission to be exactly how you are. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast, How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Rain or shine, every day is a great day for fishing, right? You got rain gear, but you can't overlook sunny day gear. A Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie has you covered on the sunniest days. Like literally. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to? Especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad spectrum UV protection. We're talking UPF 50, and it has airflow so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. Columbia PFG has you covered with their Castback TC shoe. Its OmniMax cushioning and traction system helps if you're on your feet a lot, say, fighting a fish. Not to mention keeping you sure-footed on a wet, rocking boat. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head over to Columbia.com PFG and shop all their performance fishing gear. I remember when you were at my house, you told me a story about how one day you decided to wear your hair differently. Yeah. Is this oh a story you're yeah. comfortable telling? Oh, yeah. I'm happy to share it now. I think it's it's one of those things I didn't really even know what to make of it at the time uh, because I wasn't necessarily thinking racially all the time. I didn't walk around the hallways of MTV looking for racism. And yet one day it found me in a very microaggression kind of way. But it was it was definitely a reflection of something that was off there in the culture. And and so I was walking down the hallway. I just picked out my afro. I was excited because I was going to wear my hair a different way. Mostly I had the sort of very relaxed kind of curls looked. And, and, you know, the look I had that day was like quest love from the roots, you know, picked out the afro. And so as I'm walking down the hallway towards the makeup room to get ready for TRL, one of our executive producers comes out of the control room and he sees me as I'm walking down the hall. He says, hey, that's a new look for you. Do you think that look is a little too black for our show, though? And 
I was, I was like, oh, like, you know, when somebody says something awkward and inappropriate and you don't even know what to say back, it's just like so off. So I think I just literally froze and I was like, oh, I, I didn't see it like that. And I just awkwardly walked off, you know? And so that was a moment that when I look back on it, it says so much about why I ended up leaving MTV. Honestly, the culture of MTV was changing and people like that who said things like that were chipping away at the thing that made MTV cool in the first place. Mm. You know, and this happens in a lot of companies. People say dumb shit all the time and then they wonder why their best talent leaves. Right. I mean, but at the same time, you were afraid to leave at the time. So yeah. did you tuck that gut feeling away for the time being to say that? I did. Mm. Yep, I sure did. Yep. And it's something that I think a lot of people of color can relate to. It's that idea that we happen to be really lucky in some ways to get jobs like that. And then we know the other side of the coin so well, because we've probably scraped our way to that opportunity. So are we really going to allow some comment like that to rock the boat? And then the likelihood of our advocacy around any change happening being, well, let's say it's not the greatest track record that we've had in America as far as social change. So if that's the prospect, you know, we could certainly look at some examples of people who have managed to rock the boat and do it effectively. And especially this past year, you know, with everything happening so publicly, uh, things have changed a lot. But back then, I didn't really see the viability or, or the upside of rocking the boat and making a point of calling that person out and going to HR and doing the whole thing. So I did. I just shoved it down. And when I look back at it, of course, there's a part of me that's like, oh, I just want to shake the shit out of that young version of me and tell them, dude, you could be the difference. Like you could change the culture right now. And that's the truth of it is we all do have the opportunity to change the culture that we may have an issue with, but do we do that? And of course that's this past year was an example of where all that suppressed advocacy came out and full fledged because there was so much to talk about and I was willing to do it. But, you know, back then I was definitely not in that same mindset. And is that you really, you know, your job, you're already, mm. you know, th that's what we've learned is you have to fight for, for yourself that hard, you know, who else is going to be behind you, especially in the early 2000s, you're looking at a totally different animal there. I just thought that yeah. story was so interesting because it was like, you know, I don't know if he had to do with casting or what, but like, did they love you because you fit that mold of, yes, you're a person of color, but mm -hmm. the way you presented was white enough, a softer yeah. look. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know exactly if that's the, the right word, but you said softer curls. So I kind of just used the word softer. Oh yeah, for sure. And I was thinking about the other black person that was hosting on the show. Her name's Lala and she's done really well for herself. And she's like a movie star now. But at the time, you know, we were all VJs. And when I think about how she presented, it was also a bit of a softer look as well. It was uh, flattened hair, you know, straight hair where I know her hair is nappy naturally, you know, and that's another manifestation of it is like both of us being light skinned, by the way. And when we look at historically what's been going on back to slavery days and how the darker people of color would be in the cotton fields in the sun, picking cotton all day. Meanwhile, the light skinned people like me would get to be in the house. We were lighter. So they would call us house niggas, right? And we would be polite and kind. Say, yes, master, what you want? You want some tea? I'll get it for you. You know, and it was like a nicer job than being out in the sun, picking the cotton. Just based on the shade of your skin. Yep. Yep. That somehow implied some level of evolution that we had gone through versus the darker version of us. So it's crazy. It actually hurts my heart to, to think about that. So I can imagine what it feels like for you. In some ways we haven't changed that much. I mean, that's the thing. It's like when I look at what happened back at MTV, 
you know, there was darker people of color on that channel, but they weren't getting on TRL. It was very rare that we'd have Sway come in and do the MTV News segment. So that's indicative of that, of that dynamic that we're now very well aware of. Race is, race is definitely a really big thorn in the side of America. So I would do want to circle back to the past year, and we're kind of doing a lot of circling because we're, <laughs> we're talking about a different things, but I'm keeping track of everything that, that we're talking about here. And you were kind of the, the OG influencer showing up on TRL. You showed mm-hmm. up at 20, had this place that you showed up every single day live to millions of viewers and harnessed influence, power, as well as interviewing major people. Like you said, Stevie Wonder, Beyonce, whoever was really, you know, relevant at that time or clearly timelessly relevant. And now you coach people to be authentic on camera and Mm -hmm. tell their story. Mm -hmm. Did you see a disconnect with celebrities between when the cameras were on and when the cameras were off? Or do you still now see a disconnect between that? That's a great question. There was typically a bit of a shift. And that's an interesting point too, because when the camera turns on, there is something to be said about having a bit more energy than maybe you had before the camera was on you. And and you could rationalize that. You could say, well, you know, I was just chilling, having coffee earlier, but now I got an audience of millions. I got to make it count. Right. So, so it's a really slippery slope. And this is what I mean by presence, right? Because if it's an energy that's propped up by some, expectation that you think people have of you and therefore you put on something it's a very fine line very fine line i did it all the time i would sometimes show up to the studio not feeling so hot and then of course when the camera turned on woo, there goes the charisma all of a sudden let me shake and bake and do what i need to to keep america entertained so it's something that it to each his own is what i'm landing on with that as long as the person feels in their own skin and then their own voice, then turn it up. Absolutely. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's potentially a show called a show, show biz for a reason. You know, and put on a bit of a show, you know, people are just sitting there melancholy. That's not altogether too entertaining for too long. <laughs> so you can make a case for turning it up. And so it just depends where it's coming from, I think is really what it comes down to. And so some celebrities were great at that and, and some weren't. Some didn't know how to turn it up at all. I mean, I remember having one one particular reality star on the show, and she was like a dead fish. I was like, "Do you want to be here?" <laughs> but I kind of like that. I kind of appreciate that. That is just yeah. who who they on a reality TV show. You know, they were cast as themselves. When yes. Beyonce shows up, she's cast in life as a entertainer. You know, yes. like I think for somebody who's the camera's just on them and we're watching them. There's something authentic about that person being a dead fish. 100%. Well, and Beyonce is a great example, actually. I remember when she would come to MTV and I was always blessed and honored to be requested by her to be the interviewer. And so I remember distinctly before we'd get on camera together, how she was always so quiet and shy and to herself. And uh, you almost perceive her as an introvert. You know, she definitely occurred as an introvert when we were off camera, but then turn the camera on specifically when she performed her songs, it would be a whole nother thing, right? She's got this alias, this, you know, this, uh, Sasha Fierce. And Beyonce, who I know off camera, is absolutely different. And so we could talk about that. Like, is, does that mean Sasha Fierce is inauthentic? No, it's a different version of her that she presents for a time and place. And I think we can all look at that within our own lives and say, okay, well, am I authentic? by making a point of presenting a certain version of myself at the workplace. 
you know, and then it becomes potentially a slippery slope, right? Like we talk about code switching a lot in the black community. Like we turn on a different voice when we're around our white colleagues than we would have if we're talking about hip hop with our homies over dinner, you know? So, so that's why, you know, authenticity is truly the most interesting subject because it, it has all these dimensions to it. I think it's also, as you've clearly worded really beautifully, and I've experienced myself, authenticity is not static. I consider myself an authentic person, but I lose myself and then I come home and I lose myself Mm. and I come home and I lose myself and I come home. And every time I get lost, even I'd say right now, as we're kind of speaking, I wouldn't say get lost. I'm kind of in the position of like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I was lost a minute ago. And now I'm refinding myself Mm. again. I'm not mad or felt like I was inauthentic in that moment, but I think we need to allow for moments of lack of clarity in order to refine the clarity. Oh, 100%. I think contrast is very clarifying. And so without the contrast of being inauthentic at times, we wouldn't even really have a full appreciation for being fully authentic. And that's with anything in life. That's with any contrasting experience. I had a divorce about a year and a half ago, very contrasting experience to what I'm experiencing now. It's that divorce though, that I look back on and I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for all of the angst and, and anguish that had that moment be so difficult for me when I was going through it. Now in retrospect, I'm thinking, wow, now I could fully show up with so much deep reverence for my relationship with Carolyn, because I know what it's like to be in an unaligned relationship. You know, and I think that's kind of a metaphor for how we can be with ourselves when we show up in any situation. Right. You said that when, when you talk to people about what they're looking to achieve as a media coach, they're oftentimes, how do I get more views? Are most people that are working with you after the views or are they after telling their story? I think when it comes down to it, it's telling their story in such a way where they feel seen and celebrated for their story. And so what that entails for people is different. Some people, they won't feel validated and seen and heard until they hit a million. Some people give me a thousand followers. I'll be good. <laughs> or even, or even just my next door neighbor listening. <laughs> so it's, it's very different depending on, I think just how much that person fills their own cup and is able to validate their own story. And, and, and so some people have an objective around business. They want to make sure that they can have product or service scale. And therefore that's why they're creating the content. Those are probably my favorite people to work with because it's actually a purpose beyond themselves. You know, they're saying, I want views because that's going to mean more customers that get this service to product. And then there's other people that seem like they really just want to have more visibility. And then I ask them, well, what's valuable about that for you? You know, we go into the why and sometimes it's a little vapid and then we get to beef it up with some values. And then by the end of the conversation, maybe they realize, wow, I just need to like have a hobby that fulfills me or whatever. Like, it's so interesting because I'm truly in the discovery with them. I have no agenda in these coaching conversations other than to really hold up a mirror so that they can see themselves clearly. So if they are caught up in some sort of game where they're trying to be validated, but they don't realize it, it's my job to say, hey, like, is it possible that you're just trying to get more views because you didn't get love from your parents when you grew up? And now you're basically overcompensating for a brokenness out of your childhood. Do you speak from like a personal place when you speak such wisdom? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I mean, for me personally, I I certainly felt like because my dad wasn't around the house and he was busy working, putting food on the table, which I appreciate, but I didn't really feel his friendship throughout my childhood. Whenever he was around, he'd be a disciplinary and, you know, oftentimes it got a little volatile. And so I didn't necessarily feel love for my dad. A lot of times, or at least how I would have really appreciated it at the time. 
now I, I appreciate it in retrospect because it was his way of loving, right? His love language was putting food on the table. But for me coming out of my childhood, there was definitely a perception that I was broken on some level, like that, that I wasn't worth his attention, that there was some disconnect there that left me feeling like I need to create the type of personality, the type of impact in the world that will make me worthy. So I'm going to get on MTV. I'm going to have this platform and inspire, blah, 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 blah. But really it was coming from a place of, I, I really need to prove my worth to my dad. And that's the case with quite a few people. Or prove their worth to somebody, you know? Yeah. And it's, yep. it's a lot to unpack to then clearly get back to your, why are you doing this? And making sure that what you're chasing, if you land it, is actually going to fill that lack that you were after. It's a very totally. complex conversation, but... I think it's one that everybody should be having with themselves or with a coach in some way, because I just feel like unhappiness at a very basic level is the chase. And mm -hmm. even if you catch it, isn't going to fill that void. It really makes you reevaluate everything yep. in a really yep. exciting way. Dare I say oh, yeah. exciting. Absolutely. We can see things for what they are once we are able to really confront the reality of it. There's a great quote from Jim Carrey that I actually quoted in my TED talk where I talk, uh, he talked about, uh, I think everyone should get all the success and fame so that they realize that that's not the answer. I'm paraphrasing here, but that's essentially the quote. And, and it's so true. And so many people who have gotten to the top of mountains will tell you that. They'll say don't be jealous of my success and fame. You have no idea what it's like to like have millions of people screaming your name and then go home alone. Yeah. You know, and that happens a lot. And it's really imperative for all of us to really check in with why are we looking for more visibility or views? And, you know, and I think it, it's, it's really where the truth is, is confronting that, you know, maybe we have some kind of a cup that we're trying to fill and, and ultimately it is for us to, to fill it because no amount of views, like if we play that game of, more views means I'm worthy. There's never an end. Never. You know, because someone else will have more views and then we're comparing. We all know what happens when we compare. It's a slippery slope. And the next thing you know, it's like, well, we're not enough. We've got to do more. Well, you, like I said today earlier offline, I said, you're, you're a natural born host, interviewer, personality, and yet your career like you said in the beginning, kind of stemmed from this place of lack. If I'm this person, mm -hmm. this version of me, then I will be loved. And you were partying a lot and all of your behaviors really clearly now, you know, came from that place of lack of not being comfortable mm -hmm. in your body. And yet you don't do the same thing. You're not on TRL anymore, but mm -hmm. you are a host and you still are presenting yourself every day, but from a very different place. What changed within you to really make that shift? Well, it was re realizing there was a blind spot around my driver, around my motivation. Because like you were saying, I definitely had a subconscious motivation to prove myself as worthy. But the thing that I would say more often than not, and really believe on some level, is that I was setting out to make a difference. And I really wanted to create some sort of a role in the world where I could actually spotlight the people that inspire so that we would have that kind of inspiration and positivity scaling out. And, and that was genuine for me, but there was this sort of subconscious driver that was the unhealthy version of, of my motivation. And, and, and I think that's an interesting thing to think about too, is like there are unhealthy and healthy versions of a lot of what we're talking about here. So there is a very healthy version of saying, yeah, I want to be famous. I want to be rich. And I'm clear about where that stands in the grand scope of things, right? That's 
kind of a healthier version than if I don't get rich and famous, my life won't be fulfilled. And so I had that duality going on. And I still do at times. I realize sometimes, you know, I'm sharing a thing and the thing is literally about authenticity, let's say. And I know there's a part of me that really yearns for validation with the point that I'm making. And I won't necessarily feel altogether complete sometimes unless I get the reception that I want, you know? And and so the, the duality is within all of us. Right. So that's where, you know, someone's spiritual bypassing is so unhealthy. It's like, actually, let's go ahead and talk about where we have stuff that's not necessarily in a Disney movie, but it's a reality. Sometimes, absolutely, I want to look good. I want to be right. I want to be in control. I want to have more money. I want to that, 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 right? But I would say overall, my driver has always been to make a difference. And it just so happens that now I've come to terms with that dark side and done some healing around that. Oh, it's amazing. So, but you're still continuing to return to the the why when yeah. you in moments where you get lost, which is so easy to do. Totally. That's which is why my morning practices are non-negotiable. I, you know, I'll I'll shake out, dance out, sweat out, whatever I need to do, and I also journal and I'll meditate and you know I'll have a conversation with a friend here or there who's a mentor as well. And you know, it's been a really beautiful thing. Like lean on the village when I need a little bit of support and. And I have a lot this past couple of years, the divorce and, you know, navigating not only the divorce, but leaving my company with my ex-wife and then starting anew and all of it. I mean, it's, it's, it's been a very humbling journey. Um, so yeah, the, the coming home, I love the way you put that. It's like this coming home. Uh, so no, no matter what goes on out there, that I have some sort of refuge within myself, knowing that I'll always be able to get back up. You know, I'll always be able to check in and, and look at myself in the mirror and say, cute, this is not who you really are. So let's go there instead, you know? And um, so it's like, yeah, the daily practice. The, 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 one of my favorite mentors said to me that the path is in the practice. You know, it's not like we ever arrive at this place where we're just always going to be levitating through every moment. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast, How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, You deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant... Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Rain or shine, every day is a great day for fishing, right? You got rain gear, but you can't overlook sunny day gear. A Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie has you covered on the sunniest days, like literally. 
I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to? Especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad spectrum UV protection. We're talking UPF 50, and it has airflow so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. Columbia PFG has you covered with their Castback TC shoe. Its OmniMax cushioning and traction system helps if you're on your feet a lot, say, fighting a fish. Not to mention keeping you sure-footed on a wet, rocking boat. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head over to Columbia.com PFG and shop all their performance fishing gear. Circling back to the TED Talk, what was the title again? Confessions of a Recovering Influencer. And that was a personal story of yours. Yeah, it had a couple personal stories, behind the scenes moments with Kanye, behind the scenes moments with Usher, moment in Haiti that really turned a lot in my life. Um, so it was, a, it was a variety of different stories, um, but the, it was all with the through line of really looking at how outside validation is not ultimately the best game to play. Yeah, and the, the, specifically how the clickbait culture has impacted our psychology, our way of being in the world that we would spend more time on Instagram than being a good friend. And I I think that more people need to hear it from you. 20 years of experience being an OG influencer, not with that title, but (laughs) you showed up as yourself on TV and were a personality. And if there was Instagram at the time, we would want to know what he was eating and drinking and you, you were dating and how you were meditating or whatever it is, you know, we would, we would have eaten that all up. So I think that if younger generations can just also hear from somebody who has the years behind him of be careful what you chase, I I think that, that most people see social media as an easy way to make money from home. Yeah, well, and and that's not necessarily a terrible motivation as long as you're clear about the game you're playing Mm. and who you are is distinct and different from the game. Right. And I love how you said at the end of the day, we're all influencers because Mm. I'm on a social media break right now. I do this a few times a year and it's really important for me. I wish that I had a better daily practice of resetting my nervous system and my thoughts and my self-growth, but I do so much thinking during this time and Always what comes up for me during these breaks is, you know, do I want to do this anymore? Do I want to return to the public? And then I think to myself, well, I could still show up as me, me, like the real me, whatever that means. And then I could still share these little parts of my life with just my people who know me, you know? And then I'm like, wait, now I'm an influencer again. You know, (laughs) it's like, to your point, there's no, if you're really being yourself, you're always going to have influence over those around you, whether it's mm-hmm. with your words or what you're eating or via, you know, being a nutritionist or whatever it is. And I think that it's important for people to kind of hear that, that we all bring value mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter how many ears are listening. Yeah. Yeah. I think about the person that was Tupac's teacher at art school. Do we even know their name? But they taught Tupac how to express himself. He wrote a poem in that class that led to him being one of the biggest rappers of all time. Oh, I did not know that story. And so that person didn't have a huge following. She had a following of the students that showed up in front of her in the class that day. And maybe at some points in her private moments, she didn't think that was enough impact. And then sure enough, she made a difference with Tupac. And then Tupac made a difference with however many billions of people have listened to his music at this point. So 
everyone has the potential of being an influencer. It's just the way we look at it has got to shift because that game, it's like some people have it in them to show up online all the time, sharing all parts of their life and some don't. And, and maybe that difference will actually render the person that's not constantly in the rat race of social media, a healthier person. Who knows? Oh yeah, Who knows? for sure. But you got to ask yourself, why am I doing this? And then look at the yeah. views and, and all of that. So since yeah. following you on social media, I've enjoyed your point of view on all things life, <laughs> especially political things and watching the evolution of your thoughts as a person of color mm. over the past year. Mm. Have you always been so brave to not just think differently, but speak differently? No, <laughs> no, the answer is no. I have been at times very paralyzed by my insecurity, thinking that I'm not smart enough, that I don't have enough experience to be talking about some of these subjects and discounted my voice, made myself not an influencer and done that thing and just kind of recoiled and retracted and contracted into some level of not being worthy enough. And so this was a big shift this past year because I realized the impact that I could have. And over the course of the past year, I've really found a voice within all of it. And it's not the expert. It's not, let me tell you all the history of Israel as a means of understanding what's going on with the Palestinian conflict. It's just coming from where I sit and, and what I see. And as much as I can humbly offer my perspective uh, and not claim to be any expert, not try to convert anyone, but just say, hey guys, are you seeing what I'm seeing? You know, and that's really where I try to come from more often than not is just being in that question. Like, what are we doing here? Why are we all feeling the need to share about something that is so complicated that would probably take years for us to deeply understand, but we're going out and putting memes up that are having implications that we have no idea. Like we have no idea how we're fanning the flames of misinformation and war. And now lives are being lost on account of this perception, this global mind called the internet now has an ability to actually sway the narrative in people's mind to the point where they'll actually have access to different things because of it. They'll feel empowered to continue a war because they have the people posting memes. I mean, there's a lot at stake here. So there is a lot to be mindful of when entering the fray, no question about it. Uh, but there's also something to be said about each of us meeting ourselves where we're at. If we need to get more informed, doing that. If we want to get more curious, being that, you know, all those things are, are part of being engaged, you know, and being engaged does not necessarily always look like having all the answers. Maybe it's you have all the right questions. Curiosity. That's it. It's curiosity is so underrated, so underrated. I think it's the key to life, actually. I couldn't agree more. And it also it goes hand in hand with humility, both of which, by the way, going back to your original how to be authentic brings you back to presence. Because mm -hmm. you are allowing for things to be instead of pretending like you know. And what you mm -hmm. uncover or discover by way of saying, I don't know, mm -hmm. is the magic. It is. It totally is. There's so much possibility in that place. And intimacy. If we're, and intimacy, yeah. Because if we're rigid around our beliefs, what we know, I mean, it's kind of like having blinders on. And no matter what goes on outside of those blinders on either side of our, our blinders, we're not seeing the full range of life. Like, let's say, for example, you're somebody who grew up in some certain faith, and then you encounter somebody of a different faith, and that person is so compatible with you, even with regard to a conversation about religion, 
you could have it peacefully and, and develop an even bigger point of view about how to live life, right? But that's all on the other side of being open enough, curious enough, humble enough to consider another way. But most of us aren't like that. Most of us are so rigid. We want to be right. We want to validate what we've learned. In our relationships, at work, at on social media, there's so many places where we are afraid to just sit back, listen, and ask. Yeah. Yeah. Because somehow that implies that we're wrong or, or you know, we're, we haven't done enough. Like, it's just so weird how we go places that most people wouldn't go as, as, as I'm sitting there looking at somebody, let's say, for example, we're in a room and somebody asks the question and I don't have the answer that some people will sit there and think, God, I'm not good enough because I don't have the answer versus, ooh, I don't have the answer. But I'm curious to know it, you know, and lean in. And, and that that was not always my way of being, by the way. I was a terrible student. You know, I had like a calcified brain. So just basically rule out things that I wasn't really good at. That's not important. Like math, for example, I never understood how that was going to be an important part of my life. And so therefore I didn't pay attention to math. So, you know, I'm, I'm preaching to myself as much as anybody, but I think ultimately it is important to be curious and open up to other things and possibilities. And ask for help too. Yeah. And ask for help. That's a big headline. Yeah. Asking for help has been one of the biggest game changers for me. Like to get through the divorce, I had to at some point really relinquish my ego and, call some friends of mine and be like, listen, this is what I'm going through. And, and knowing full well that some of them might look at me differently. Maybe some of them would judge me and say, oh, I thought Q had it all together. I thought Q had the greatest relationship the way he posted about it online. And then to come to find out, you know, in that humility and that openness and curiosity about how they would be with me, all of them without question, except for one, <laughs> there's always the one. Uh, but, you know, most of them were like so happy that I was being honest with myself more than anything. And that I was willing to confront what was not working and actually go through with the divorce. So now I have deeper friendships with those people. It's the opposite of what I thought would happen. Isn't that interesting? So interesting and a great reminder of all of us to release that fear and shame and ultimately serve yourself, whatever that means, because mm. it sounds really selfish, sure. but it's actually how you serve others because you've also now given somebody else permission to not stay in a stale relationship or a job or a toxic, whatever situation it is. Not to say that your relationship was toxic. I know nothing about it, but to give somebody permission to change. Yeah. Especially coming from you, somebody who's so confident and, you know, oh, I thought you had all together. Yeah, I have it all together because I keep pivoting with what life is throwing at me. <laughs> mm, that's really it. And the thing is, when you're going through the fire, it's really difficult to remember that, right? Because physiologically, we're stressed out, probably not sleeping well, all these emotions. And so that part of our brain that would have the ability to recall a quote like that might not be available. And so we'll squirm and we'll wonder, oh my God, oh my God, speculate and all the sort of worst case scenarios. Uh, so I hope someone listening here will actually remember that when the next difficult decision is on the doorstep, because uh, it really is the key. It's the key, you know? And, and that's like in every domain too. Like even when I think about for any given post, right? To go the easy way would be to say the things that you think that your audience wants to hear, but then maybe you have something else going on in you, you know, and, and that wants to be shared. And that's a little bit more uncertain. 
but that's where the growth is. So about that actually, and this will be one of my last questions here, but when you do say something that you feel needs to get heard, it usually is going to be met with an applause and then also a what the F. How do you deal with the people that come at you and say, what the F? What are you saying? Don't say that. That's wrong. Well, yeah, it depends on the day. But most days I will make a point of actually taking what they're saying into consideration because if I'm say talking about the Israel situation, I am humble in that. I don't have an expertise around that. And I did get people in my DMs coming at me about that. And what ended up happening was a learning curve for me. So when I started engaging people about what was happening in Israel, I really didn't know that much. I just knew I felt called to contribute whatever I could to the conversation. And so at first it was really just a very broad comment about how we were commenting about it. And, 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 and so really wanting to stoke the flames of a better conversation, similar to what I did with Ally now around the George Floyd situation. I just said, hey guys, can we engage with this differently than what seems to be occurring? Most people were very antagonistic, dukes up, wanting to be right, not open to any other possibilities than what they already had in their viewfinder. So that was my first wave of commentary. And people came into my DMs charged as if I was taking a position, right? As if me commenting about how we're commenting is me saying I'm anti-Palestinian, you know, or, or, or any of that. And that's not what I was saying at all, but that's where people were. And so it was like, okay, let me meet people where they're at then. Cause if it, my whole MO is just making a difference here, that I'm not attached to my position in this sort of neutral place of just wanting to have a better conversation. Let me get informed. And that literally inspired me to study for the whole weekend after that post. And I studied about Israel and Palestine. And then on Monday, I had something a little bit more substantive to say. So, so that's how I deal with it. I just, I just take my lumps when I get them, you know, take my punches when I get them and then you know, get back up and see how it can be a better person as a result of it. Yeah, that's, I feel like, I guess, in hindsight, that's how I handled Black Lives Matter last June as well, where I kept Mm. showing up to the stand and saying something that was met with, you did not just say that. And then instead of being like, yes, I did, you know, it's like, (laughs) okay, Mm -hmm. what did I just do? And this Mm -hmm. meant that. And oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. And don't get me wrong. It was exhausting that's not a complaint because (laughs) i'm a white woman privileged white woman saying that when the exhaustion on the other side is i mean beyond i can't even imagine the depletion but it, it was exhausting but such an imperative learning to really get deeper and deeper within a conversation that I want to know more about because mm-hmm. who am I? I mean, what do I value? I value treating people with care and equality. And mm-hmm. how do we have to be honest and say there is not that? And these are the things that hurts people and perpetuates a system that I'm part of because I'm a human and mm-hmm. I interact with other humans. And how can I do better? So like, I love what you said. Like, it's not that it it was easy or that it's easy any day really to have these conversations, but having humility really allows our minds to grow. And I felt Mm -hmm. so much more whole understanding the people that helped me better get to know the situation. Yeah. Not to say there weren't people that I had to, you know, put boundaries on because, you know, there's only so you can't make everybody happy, but Nonetheless, I think that humility is really important in these conversations where we don't know a lot and in relationships as well. I think it's important to instead of I didn't do anything wrong. What made you feel like that? 
What did yeah. I do to make you feel like that? Even what did I do? Like, just accept that you did something. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. We're all in these bubbles. And so how do we actually expand our bubble to include others to have a relationship with them? And some people on social media just don't have that intention. They get on there, they have their pain and their angst that they haven't processed on their own. And then they project it on other people. They get into people's DMs, they start fights, they, you know, kamikaze pilot into a comment section just so that they can feel right, you know, and they get a dopamine hit out of it. And then they don't have a relationship at the end of the day. So, you know, it really comes down to like what people's intentions are because social media, when I look at it, fundamentally, it could be a beautiful thing. It could be amazing. And and it is sometimes I've built some great relationships being on social media. You know, like, can we put the social back in social media so that we actually are feeling like we're at a dinner table, potentially making new friends versus let me throw potatoes at this person. (laughs) Yeah, that's what it was for me for a long time. So it's we got to get back to a more compassionate place. And it starts with everybody taking some time off social media. (laughs) (laughs) Reset. And then come back at it with more of a whole heart. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's important to not conflate social media with the real world. Please, please louder. Say that again. (laughs) I mean, truly, like if we don't do our own work, we're going to show up with our shit online and it's going to be a shit show. Well, we also have a contorted view of reality to think that what we're seeing online is reality, you know, and all that angst is often not found in the streets when you pass a woman walking her dog, you know, and you smile Mm -hmm. at her and she smiles back and... It's like, those are the moments that we need to balance. Yes, social media has some truth and there's some darkness and there's some lightness and then go out in the real world as well. All right, my final question here. And I mean, there's so much to you. So I'm missing a lot of my questions that I still want to get to, but. (laughs) Maybe do a part two. (laughs) Yes. If you could tell little Q one thing before he entered TV and media, so maybe before you were even 20 or 18, what would that one thing be? Mm, wow. Uh, I would say that you are absolutely enough. And of course, there's ways to improve and be better, but you are enough. People don't need you to do anything other than who you are. And, 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 and you are, you are lovable. Mm. <laughs> you know, you don't need to strive so hard to be lovable. I think we could all take that message home today. Thank you Mm -hmm. for bringing your open heart and your soul to the truthiest life and for being such a, as Carolyn and I always say, emotionally intelligent human being, not to mention a man and one in my life. I don't have a lot of men that really, we do this, you know, these (laughs) deep combos Um, and for being such a force in the world and being yourself. Thank you for being yourself, your truthiest Mm. self, Q. Mm, Thank you. This is great. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like. Whoa. And. Hmm. Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer. During the Right Rug Flooring Hello Summer Sale, you'll find savings throughout the store, all backed by the right price guarantee, including carpet with a lifetime stain warranty, only $159 installed with pad. 
That's right. 159 includes expert installation as soon as tomorrow. Visit rightrug.com, R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com to find a showroom near you or schedule a free in-home shopping appointment. Say hello to summer and save. Right Rug Flooring, right here, right now. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.